Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. Welcome to Cindy Joe Show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And it's not every day that you get a politician talking sports and it actually tying to sports. And I don't, I don't mean Cindy. I mean Donald Trump <laughs> or Hillary Clinton. Wait, no, Cindy. <laughs> well, you know, politics and sports, they cross all the time, more so than you think. Um, in fact, there is going to be a blockbuster novel that is going to be coming out here very shortly mm-hmm. about the connection between sports and politics and how often they cross paths. So it is not totally out of the ballpark. No pun intended. Um, it is not totally or out of the course or the or hockey, the, <laughs> the hockey, the, the ice. Right. So it yeah. is not it is not completely out of the range of possibility you that know, it makes sense a politician is on a sports podcast. You always see this, especially like um, with like. In terms of like arenas being built or stadiums being built, you always see politics and sports intertwining in that position. And then you have the whole social justice things that have intertwined with politics and yeah, sports. Absolutely. And then you have the whole, you know, human rights type stuff. And that's kind of where this LIV PGA Tour thing lies. See, a lot of people out there are kind of upset that the People are choosing to live tour because it's backed by Saudi Arabian money. Saudi Arabia has a human rights people. They're not right human rights, you know, the way that people think they should be. But you know what? We were talking pre-show, mm-hmm. and I mentioned to you that no one really cares about the shoes that they wear that were human rights violations, pretty much. They're done in some sweat factory in China. Or they don't care that the NBA has, uh, I think it's 10% of their owners have money tied to China. So why would you care if these people did business with Saudi Arabia? Because in my opinion, if you're doing business with Saudi Arabia, I mean, that's just your decision. Well, you know, and the thing of it is, is that that's where the resources are. That's who's got the money. And they're consumers of a lot of other American products. They're consumers of a lot of other, you know, there's not a whole lot of things that Saudi Arabia exports with the exception of oil. And, you you know, you can only have so much of that. So when they want to buy things, when they want to, uh, you know, travel, when they want to do other things with that money that they're earning from their oil exports, what, where are they going to buy it from? They're going to buy it from American companies. We are some of the highest producers of many things and commodities throughout the world. They're going to buy from European partners. They're going to buy from other places. And that in turn puts money in our pockets as Americans, right? Absolutely. It it does trickle down. So 
I don't understand the uproar over the issue that this is backed with Saudi government money, the way that they're structured, all their money is government money. Okay. It's not like here where people have their own money. It's very, very limited. It almost all goes to the government. So uh, supposedly for the betterment of all of their, their people, although it doesn't work that way. So it, the government spends the money, they're investing the money, uh, they're buying product. And in this case, they've, they've got a new product and that is this golf league. Mm -hmm. And they are essentially buying you know, golfers and players from around the world. If you think about it, it's actually pretty smart because for for once, you know, the PGA Tour is threatening the players. Like, if you leave, we don't want, we, we'll take your card away. Like, they have a membership card for the PGA Tour. We'll take your card away. And do you know what they're saying? I have $200 million reasons why you can just screw off right now. Oh, the money that they're throwing at these guys is absolutely insane. You're taking, you know, some of these, even what you call maybe a marginal player. Mm -hmm. And these guys are seeing nine figure paydays. I, I mean, mean, they're never going to see that again in their lives in the PGA. Tour. Well, that's just a joint. Not to mention if they actually win. Right. Like James Pyatt, the kid from Michigan State. He uh, he would have had a little bit of an upswing to try to get to the top level of golf as a young kid. Million dollar payday. Can you say, can you say, say that kid don't take the money because it's Saudi Arabian money? No, that's life changing money. Period. You can't. You can't say. You can't say. If you were that kid's mom and dad, you couldn't be like, no, don't take it because it's Saudi Arabian money. Money is money. Well, and that's the thing. And it's you got to go to where you know they say when they ask the famous bank robber, why do you rob banks? He said, that's where the money is. Well, that's what these guys are doing. I mean, think about it. Even when a player accepts a contract for a team who. He, he, say he grew up in Detroit, right? Or, or, you know, I mean, I don't think Darren Helm is lamenting the fact that, you know, he's playing for the Colorado Avalanche now, right? They are the, because he's going to be contending for the Stanley Cup and I'm sure they're paying him very well to do so. So there's benefits that each of these individual athletes have to take into account when they take a contract mm -hmm. with someone. And even if they're your rival, even they're your hated rival, your legendary rivalry or whatever the case might be, um, they got to get past that because it's a business decision. It's, a, it's, a, it's ultimately a business, and these guys making the choice for themselves, it just shows you what they're going for, what they're about. And it's at the end of the day, you're you're making a decision for yourself and for your family. And if you can get the money, you go get it. Right. I there's a lot more to consider here. I mean, there are some um, of the pros who've made some comments. Uh, you know. Justin Thomas, um, Rory McIlroy, I mean, they've made some comments about the fact that there's more to this than money, okay? Mm -hmm. There's other things that you play for. You know, they that's, want to play in the PGA that's for other reasons. That's brilliant because I need you to tell the people your hypothesis on why yeah. this is could be a political kind of posture. Sure. And, you know... Um, there have been players that have made allusions to this. Like I said, you know, Justin Thomas made a reference to politics in how everybody wants to think negatively about things. Um, they're all kind of softening too. They're starting to soften their positions on this. But what is the political connection? Because there is something political here that nobody is talking about, Joe. I'm going to talk about it because, as you know, I have been in politics for over 25 years. Yep. Um, I was on uh, some very high level uh campaigns and teams throughout the years she was on the trump team 
I was on the Trump team in 2016. She ran, she ran for state office this year. Yep, uh, quite a bit. And I've been elected official myself for 10 years. So she's been around. <laughs> I've been around a while, right? Here's the thing. There's always, and we talk about it, game inside the game. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, how is it and why is it that this golf league, which by the way, LIV is actually the, meaning the Roman numeral 54. So I'm wondering if we're going to see like some crazy club 54 type antics in this. Probably. Right? You know, they're throwing enough money around. You can see just about anything. But why did this league come out of nowhere mm-hmm. now? And how are they recruiting and why is the Saudi Arabian government putting $2 billion with a B behind this league? You know, most of these leagues, when they these startups leagues, when they try to challenge the an existing league, they don't have the money. Right. That's not the case here. They have unlimited funds and that a Saudi government, a foreign government would be supporting a golf league to the tune of $2 billion. Well, it's interesting. So I started looking into this, Joe, and here's what I found. And here's what I think people find interesting. Here's my hypothesis. Let's go back to January of 2020. Something significant happened with the PGA. The PGA, after January 6, 2020, what's called the insurrection in Washington, D.C., the PGA decided that they were going to pull their championship tournament from Bedminster, uh, New Jersey, which is Donald Trump's golf course. One of his 19 golf courses he he owns. As we all know, Donald Donald Trump is an avid golfer. In fact, most people say he's really a pro-level golfer and could be a professional golfer should he choose to be. Um, He's that good at it, has a great passion for the game. And so he owns 19 golf courses. Of course, he also owns 19 golf courses, I'm sure, because there is some good money in it. And Donald Trump is always looking for an opportunity uh, to benefit Donald Trump. Around. Here you go. Of course. So the PGA pulled that tournament from Donald Trump's Bedminster golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey. Then later in the year, the Trump uh, folks filed a legal challenge and a lawsuit to the PGA seeking damages for pulling that championship tournament. They ended up settling out of court on that, and they came to a settlement uh, where the PGA paid off uh, the uh, Trump interests there. Now, you would think that that would be enough, you know, but Donald Trump is an amazing guy, and he hates to lose. Mm -hmm. And even though he won that, the fact that the PGA took that position, I think this league is a response to that. I think this is Donald Trump through the Saudi government or in cooperation with them, um, taking a big wet bite out of the PGA's ass. And I'll tell you why I think that. Not only does he kind of have a bit of an ax to grind with the PGA now, if you'll look at the LIV's tournament schedule, two two of their major events are taking place at Trump golf courses, one at Bedminster and another one down at his, his uh, course in Miami. So you have to say that most American golf courses would not want to tick off the PGA. Most American golf courses at that level and contention do not want to upset American golfers or anyone who's got sensitivities to this whole thing. To me, the very fact that Trump is allowing though this league to have two prominent events at his golf courses is kind of a big, you know what, middle finger up to the PGA to start with. This is this is really a signal saying, I don't care, PJ, you're not going to pay the price for what you chose to do. 
Secondly, uh, for those of you who are watching the news and keeping up on what is going on in um, some of the financial areas, Jared Kushner, who is Donald Trump's son-in-law, is currently being questioned about a $2 billion investment by the same Saudi Arabian public investment or public entity that is backing this golf course has made a two or excuse me, this golf league, uh, the live is backing is invested $2 billion into Jared Kushner's firm. Mm. Uh, and Jared Kushner, as many of you may know, or you may not know, Joe, I'm going to educate you a little bit. Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law, um, was actually the, uh, a very key figure, uh, in the Saudi Arabian and, uh, Middle East peace talks when Donald Trump was president. Mm. So he has a very close relationship with the Saudi prince. He has a very close relationship, the Trump family does, with the, with Saudi Arabia um, and their leadership there. And I don't think it's a coincidence, Joe, that um, not only did they contribute $2 billion to um, Donald Trump's son-in-law's firm, but they are also backing two with $2 billion this new golf league. And the PGA made a very foolish mistake in ticking off Donald Trump. So to me, this is a great lesson in uh, this is what happens and this is the price you pay when you cross Donald Trump. Well, you might be right. So Donald Trump, so if you're talking about the Donald Trump angle, this was something that he did back in the day where he had the USFL and he made the foolish decision to go against the NFL, which was a total disaster because the NFL is the NFL. But unlike the NFL, the PGA Tour is nothing like the NFL. The NFL was was a, was starting to gain some steam late 80s, early 90s, right? PGA Tour has been the same old, same old. And I kind of attribute it back to the PGA Tour being like the NCAA, mm-hmm. where they're so stuck in their ways, they're like, nothing will happen to us. We are always going to be the premier spot for golfers what happens when there's someone on the block you know it's different it's different it's well times are a change you know Joe, that's you, for sure you know you know how you know how when businesses start to clean their act up because competition is moving in town they gotta shore up they gotta that's right make sure things don't happen in their little circle that's right bj tour did not do that see the nfl when the usl fell was become wanted to go against them. They kind of made it to where like, okay, we see you coming, and we're gonna start making decisions right now to fix that. PGA Tour did not. The NCAA when NIL came into play, they did not. You mm-hmm. can kind of see that this complacency and this way of this old thinking that they can't be topped. Well, you about to be topped. Well, you know, there, there's a couple other, there's one other major problem that the PGA is going to have with the LIV, and that is that the Masters tournament and some of the, the, the big majors are not going PGA to, are not, well, they're not going to, the non-PGA sanctioned ones, such as the Masters, such as the Open Championship, um, they are not going to keep these LIV players from playing in their events. The only one that they're going to be kept out of is the PGA championship one. So these players that are committing or who are playing in the LIV 
will be able to play in the really the prestigious tournaments, the ones that really matter. Because who cares who wins the, you know, um, ABC, you know, insurance company open or something. I mean, the, you know what this, Nobody cares about that. This really does have a domino effect in Detroit because Detroit has the Rock and Mortgage Classic. Right. That's a PGA Tour event. Yep. See, here's the thing. Like, the Masters is the prima donna that is the best of the best, right? Right. Those golfers could play in the Masters. That's right. They can play so, in that one. And, yep. So this is kind of a gotcha-looking kind of thing by the Live Tour because they they probably knew that coming in. Sure. They and did. now they're like, okay, we're going to steal this guy. We're going to steal this guy. And if you think that we're done – we are not. And I'd be willing to bet you money. If I were a betting woman, uh, I would say the man himself, Donald Trump, is behind the scenes making phone calls to a lot of these key folks in a lot of these areas to make sure that these players have access. You know, here's another thing, too. The PGA Tour was sued, and the FEC did find that they violated um, – you know, the laws in that they were found to be an illegal monopoly. However, that was kind of, they didn't have to really pay any price or consequence for that because, uh, you know, their leadership went in and lobbied the government um, and key people inside the government to not have the PGA face any penalty for that. But they were found to be in violation. They were found to be an illegal monopoly. So these players if the PGA wants to play this, excuse the term, trump card and tell these players, hey, look, if you play in the LIV, you can't play in PGA tournaments, they may be challenged. And I'll tell you, if the man himself is behind this, they will have to pay a price this time. And I think ultimately they will have to allow those players to play. Here is the one Achilles seal that the Live Tour has. That is that they have yet to find a broadcasting partner um, to broadcast here in the States. So uh, that is a bit of Achilles heel for them. I don't think it's the end of the world because they have access to some non-traditional media that is on the rise. I don't think it's a big deal. Well, I think it's going to hurt them. I I, I don't think it's insurmountable. I think think what's going to happen is I think the live tour is on the cutting edge. I say this because... If you noticed, the NFL signed a deal with Amazon for Thursday Night Football mm-hmm. with Amazon for their Prime package. Don't tell me that the NFL did that just for shits and giggles. You know, they didn't do that because they knew they were going to lose money. They know the NFL knows, as well as some, you know, Major League Baseball is starting to do it. I'm sure you're going to see it in hockey with the next deal. I'm sure you're going to start seeing in basketball where they start going to these streaming elements. Where you're, I mean, Major League Baseball has a YouTube game of the week. I mean, we were, we were, I was watching Tigers on YouTube. Get out of here. This is what's going to happen. And I feel like the Live Tour is on the cutting edge of what could be the mea culpa to sports broadcasting. Because I no longer think, I think that. You got to think about it like this. Crap is expensive right now. It gets really, really expensive. Yeah. The first thing to go in a family's economic situation is probably the cable. Cut the cable, Bill. Yeah, the cable (laughs) is probably gone. 
And you got you got things like YouTube TV. No more Disney Channel for you. Right. Let's go get Disney Plus. <laughs> Let's go get the Disney Plus package where we get we get Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for fifteen ninety nine. Well, and Disney is even Disney is losing people like crazy right now because I think they're making some of the wrong moves. But that's beside the point. They're they're but, they're, they're still gaining people because they have ESPN Hulu thing. But I think that these the Lib Tour is on the cutting edge of what could be the revolution of sports. Well, and you can, in again, if Donald Trump is involved here in any capacity, I will tell you that he will make sure that that base is covered. He will, he's already got it probably done in the works. I mean, there's one thing about Donald Trump that I can tell you, you know, I met him in 2016, uh, very supportive, uh, supportive again in 2020. I'm still support. I can tell you this, Donald Trump is five steps ahead of everybody all the time. And there's no doubt in my mind, even if it comes to light, there's no doubt in my mind, Donald Trump is a true patriot. Donald Trump loves this country. He would never sell it out. He was a one of the only presidents in history to have any kind of success of middle in the Middle East in terms of peace. There's a reason he's able to do those things because it's the way he cultivates relationships and how he leverages power, authority, and financial resources. He's an absolute genius at it. So if anybody could pull this off, it's Donald Trump. And I think that is exactly what this is. And I think they are going to be successful because of that in upending the PGA, or as you said, Joe, forcing them to do business differently. Because let's face it, when you've got Tiger Woods, who's making $121 million for the entire year, which sounds like a lot, You've got, they're paying these guys $125 million just to sign on. Yep. That's an enormous disparity. And to compete with that, the PGA is going to have to go a long, long way. And one of the biggest mistakes they made, I will tell you again, is crossing Donald Trump would not be surprised if this is the price they have to pay for that. I would not be surprised if we see reports about how Donald Trump is associated with this league. I would not be shocked to see that there was some political backing with this. And I would not be shocked to see if this was the ultimate, like, F you to PGA Tour. That's I mean, what I'm we, saying. We have, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not the only one, because there's some people who really despise the PGA Tour. Yeah. Because of the way they handled business, whether it was, you know, golf courses that were, uh, that were pretty much shuttered because the PGA Tour left them high and dry and made them change their whole system and they left and there's no one that's going to play on a PGA tour type golf course. I mean, you could try, right. The, every, the regular everyday person is not going to pay $250 to go play on a course. Look, you are looking at capitalism in action. And this is what happens when, as you pointed out, Joe, when you bring competition into the fold, you get a better product, you get a more exciting and, um, more options in the marketplace. This is what is happening. Donald Trump is the world's genius at that. There is no doubt that this has his fingerprints all over it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing either. And I think that, I think there's only one league that has went against competition and won every time and it's NFL. I really don't think there's, there's another league out there who, I mean, you could say the NHL probably, NBA and the Major League Baseball, those are the four that are probably unrivaled because they got the best players on earth. But the PGA Tour is losing the best players on earth. And 
they didn't treat their players with the proper respect, you would say. And now these players are making them pay for it. That's the thing. Eventually, you got to pay the piper, Joe. You got to pay the piper sometimes. <laughs> On the next segment, Between the Whistles, we will talk about the Red Wings and some of their things that we they have coming up. But we obviously have to profile Sebastian Costa and talk about the 97 team and how we can get there back there again. Let's talk goaltending. Yes. We'll see you in the next segment. See you then. Okay, Cindy and Joe, I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And we are between the whistles, Detroit, and we are talking Red Wings hockey. Yes. Yes. Now, when we were talking pre-show about the Red Wings, we were talking about how we were going to talk about the 97 championship. And uh, today is an eventful day in the city of Detroit because many years ago, the Red Wings drafted a number 19 to their team. And now he is their general manager. He won four Stanley Cups. And one of his first Stanley Cups was, the anniversary was yesterday. Yes. And he was, he's every bit as cute now as he was then. And who's, (laughs) and a friend of the Between the Whistles show scored the game winning goal of game four. Yes. Mr. Darren McCarty. Hi, Darren. Congrats, buddy. Yeah, he's got four of those rings, so he's I know he's he good. does. He's, he's good. He's uh he's an elite company across sports. He's my hero. Yeah, there's there's I was I think I did the math. Did you know there's only I think eighty nine players who have won four rings or more. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, when Darren and I first became friends and started working on the Poisoned Ice project together, which by the way, y'all are gonna hear more about poisoned ice here. Uh, in the next, in the coming months. But um, when we started working on that project, Darren said to me, I said, what's it like when you go in the locker room? You know, do you, do they ask you to come in and talk to these new guys? You know, this was right after the draft. And um, he's like, he goes, well, he said, yeah. He goes, you know, I mean, I'll come in and talk to him. He said, uh, but they have a lot of people coming in and talk to him. He said, but when you walk in the room and you got four cups, everybody listens. I think it's kind of like the Tom Brady kind of method. Like it, when he comes in a room, you listen. Mm-hmm. When a guy like Le, like LeBron James comes in a room, now he's now he's kind of ruined his own legacy in a way. But when a guy like that or Steph Curry or uh, Tim Duncan come in the room, like you got to listen because those guys have been in some magnitude of you know magnitude games, and they have played the best of the best and won the best trophy. Well, and it's like, it's not a one-off. It's just, it's not a fluke. You know, you can say one time, uh, it's a fluke. Yeah. two times you can say, well, if it was back-to-back, they were just with the right group of people. Right. Uh, in a case like, you know, Darren's and, and, and Stevie and, and quite a few of these other Nick guys. Lichrum, you know, guys like that. Thank God that a lot of them were in Detroit. We're really blessed with that. But the fact is that these guys won multiple cups spanning a decade. Yeah. You know, so it's not like it was a mistake. These guys have cemented themselves as the true elite of this sport. So that's why people listen. Yeah, and I think I think that's what you have to understand. And you look, you make comparisons to the '97 team. You look at the '90, the you know the '91 team. I kind of feel like we're in a '91, '92 era of Red Wings hockey, where we have the players in our system or on the roster, but they just haven't 
got to that level of championship level yet. Now, I would say you say 91, 92. For me, I, this feels like 1995 to me. I don't, because they, they made the playoffs in 1995. See, I think, I think it's more like 91, 90, where they're kind of, they're on the cusp of becoming something great. You got to remember, they, I think Bowman came in 94. Mm-hmm. I was in, I was just born, so excuse me if I forget it. Oh God, that makes all of us sick. For all of y'all who are my age, it makes us just sick that he was born in 1994. But, like my daughter was born in 1994. That's why this is, this, is, <laughs> this is a critical time in Red Wings history, kind of, because Stevie Y could cement the next dynasty with the next head coach. And there's been a lot of speculation about who that's going to be. And some of the comments on the talk board, you know, uh, the Motor City Ice Queen, which was really a, a very much up and coming Detroit and is an up and coming Detroit hockey scene um, influencer paired up with the Detroit Red Wings news on social media. So now we have the Detroit Red Wings news powered by Ice Queen, which is awesome, by the way. Um, just tremendous exceptional hockey conversations and on there what i was seeing joe is i'm seeing people saying they're getting sick and tired of speculation they're getting sick and tired of talking about which coach could be considered because all of them are up for grabs kind of a thing and they want to know they want to have a conversation when we're solid when when the detroit um, red wings signal that there's someone they're interested in or actually make an announcement I think the discussion about who it could be is more fun than that. I, I think I think it's fun because when the Nash, when the best insider in hockey says this, going to do quickly. Who knows what Steve Eiserman is going to do? But there are a lot of people who seem to think that Cassidy will be a, a very serious contender in Detroit, for example, if not elsewhere. When the top insider in hockey. Elliot Friedman says something like that. You listen. Now, obviously, we don't know what's going on because no one knows what's going on because even Elliot Friedman said in the same podcast that he doesn't even get good knowledge from the Detroit Ravens because they're so tight-lipped and Stevie White does not like stuff getting out. But... Yeah, it keeps things very close to the vest. You love... You got to understand if there was no conversation of who the head coach was going to be, you're not a relevant franchise. See, this shows all about the Red Wings. So the Red Wings, they are showing that no matter when they're good, when they're bad, there is always conversation about them. And if you look at the top teams in sports, you look at the Lakers, the when, when they were looking for a coach, it was the topic of conversation. Yeah. When you look at if, if the Patriots needed a head coach tomorrow, that'd be a topic of conversation. The Green Bay Packers needed a, a head coach. Topic of conversation. God forbid if the Dallas Cowboys needed a, top, a head coach because that would be like 24-7 news cycle. Right, for sure. Because that's what happens. When you're a good team, people talk about you. Right, when you're they a, want to know that next When you're a relevant team. franchise, people talk about you. Now, I find it really interesting that Elliot Friedman in the same podcast. You know who could be the potential head coach of the Florida Panthers next year? Jeff Blaschel. No kidding. He said that they, the general manager of Florida loves Jeff Blaschel. 
thinks he got a raw deal in Detroit, which I think he did too. But that's beside the point. I think Stevie Y gave him enough time, but he didn't do it well with the roster he had. I just don't think the dynamics were right. I think he, I think it was just time. You know, I think I think what Bruce, I think what Elliot Freeman said about Bruce Cassidy is kind of true. Jeff Lashley, where maybe it just got it went too long and things weren't happening the way they were, and they they had to part ways. But the whole the Bruce Cassidy thing is weird because the Bruins they were a contending team. Now they pissed off Pasternak. He's Not pretty, a good move. He's pretty pissed off we, right we now. We talked in the last segment about what happens when you tick off the wrong person. It could send <laughs> a bad things can happen. It could send a seismic wave into that yeah. Boston Bruins, and yeah. people are talking about Boston rebuilding now and all that stuff. Right. But it's it's a good thing that you are getting talked about because if you're not getting talked about, no one cares about you. You're just a dead weight, and the rubbings the rubbings have commanded so much effing respect throughout sports that they deserve that because that's exactly what that that brand does the rubbing logo is an iconic logo you can ask darren mccarty you can ask uh stevie y you can ask nicholas strum you could ask any rubbing who has ever wore that jersey that it's you take pride in wearing that jersey because that's an original six franchise that is the best american hockey franchise in history a lot of Stanley Cups. No one is close in, in American uh, hockey. I mean, well, and we had Gordie Howe. We had, you really can't. We had Gordie Howe. We had that. Stevie Y. We yeah. had Nicholas Lidstrom. We had Henrik Zetterberg. We had Pat Alex Delvecchio. Right. We had right. The, we had everything. We even had the Grind Line, which was pretty. They were a pretty special group. Draper, Malfi, and McCarty. Yeah. We had Bob Probert. Joey Koser. Joey Koser. I mean, in almost every category of hockey. You look at, and that's the other thing about the Red Wings that I'd like to, you're exactly right, Joe. You look at any element inside the game, and the Detroit Red Wings have had legacy there. Just think about it. You go forward. Who, who's the top forwards you name it? Stevie right. Y and Gordie Howe. Those are yep. two of the top forwards in NHL history. You look at the defensemen. Yep. Who are you, who are you name if one of the Nick first, Lindstrom. Nick Lindstrom, and you might name Red Kelly. Yep. And then if you go to the goaltending situation, who is the first guy you're probably going to name because of the sh- the, the shutouts that he had that Brodeur broke? Terry Sawchuk. Yep. Those and, then, are, that's, that's, and then you had a Hall of Fame head coach. You had a Hall of Fame general manager, two of them. Yep. Maybe three because Stevie Y might be the third guy who goes in the Hall of Fame as a I general bet manager. I'll, I'll make money. You had Delvecchi. You had uh, Davilano. You had Holland, and you had you have Stevie Y now. Yep, that's prestigious territory. Because if you ask, if you look at any team around the league, go try to do that with any other team. That's you, right, you can't. The only team that you, the only teams that you can do that with is Toronto and Montreal. But they they can't come close to the number of Stanley Cups. Well, Montreal has more. Toronto has more. But they've been in the league long. They were. They were around in, I think, 1916 or since 1916 or whatever. Right. And some of the Stanley Cups are against teams that never even, they're not even around You can't anymore. even count those. I'm saying in the modern era, you really, I mean, say the last, you know, 100 years or so, you know, and that's modern, right? But in the last 50, last 60 years, you can't even come, nobody comes close to Detroit. Since they expand, let's go expansion since era. Ex- there you go. Let's go expansion era because if you go expansion era, they still have the most. Yeah, much. I mean, you know. But they don't have – only Detroit has all those other elements, I believe. So I think we made the case that the Detroit legacy is 
just beyond um, the average, okay? It's not even, you can't even come close. So that's what Detroit has to offer. Here's the thing with this coaching situation. In part because of what you just laid out, Joe, I think a lot of fans and a lot of people and a lot of ones that make comment on our social media pages are expecting a Scotty Bowman level coach. And I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. But, but see, the expectations are so high when it comes to Detroit. Um, they're expecting that. I don't think that's where Stevie's going to go just yet. I think he's looking for a gap filler. I think he's looking for someone who's between the, and I, and I posted this comment on our social media. He is looking for the guy who is going to be the, the filler between the team they are now and the cup contenders they are going to be in two or three years. He's looking for the guy to bridge that gap. And when he gets to where he wants to be, that's when he's going to bring in his Scotty Bowman level coach. I, and so I think people may be a little disappointed. And, and also I think they're getting coach conversation fatigue when it comes to Detroit. You know, like we talk about people getting election fatigue. Right. When you all you hear about is constant political ads two weeks before an election, when everybody has their ad buys in and you're getting, you know, your mailbox is like bursting at the seams with all that stuff yeah. they mail to you and yeah. all this kind of stuff. You're just done with it. You're sick of it. You're sick of hearing. About I don't it. think I, that I don't think that they're going for a guy. Who, but I think our fan base is getting to that point with this, which is why you're seeing some of some of this stuff in the comments. But I think they want a Bowman level coach. I don't think we're going to get one. Not yet. I think that they are – I think Steve Uri is going to go after a Bowman-type coach. And I don't think he's going to be a brand name. He might not be a brand name. He might be a brand name. But I think Stevie Uri is looking for the coach that's going to get them right now because I think he feels like Dylan Larkin is exactly like him as at a, as a younger age, where he needs that guidance, he needs that, that motivation, and he needs the tough love that he got from Scotty. I think he sees a lot of him in Dylan. I really do. And he's looking for a coach who can inspire Dylan the way Bowman inspired him. inspired him. I can see that argument, and I think that's a pretty good one. I think what Steve is waiting for, there, I think there's a couple litmus tests that he has for this team to, to um, determine when they're going to be ready for a Bowman-level coach. And I think one of the things he's waiting for and I think this is going to be a key. We're seeing it right now in the conference finals. What's going to be a key to the Red Wings' success and is going to make them a contender is going to be people say, oh, when we get a defenseman or whatever, defensive pairings and all this stuff, maybe. But I think the key to this is goaltending. And we had a great conversation pre-show mm -hmm. about goaltenders. You look at right now, you've got two of the arguably in, in the Eastern Conference finals, finals the first and second best goalies anywhere in the world. And that's what it's going to take. You need that. I mean, back in, we talked about the 97 uh, Detroit Red Wings, you know, they're that cup team, mm -hmm. you know, you had a couple, two of the, you know, arguably some of the best goalies in the league at the time. Uh, and every Stanley cup team, you look at that is a critical, critical element. And I think that's what Stevie's working on. And Joe, I know you have an awful lot of insight on that. My take as far as our goaltending situation is this. Um, I think we've got some great things in the pipeline. I think uh, Ned uh, Nedeljkovic could be a, a great piece of that. I don't know if it's going to be they're going to set up a tandem goalie situation or we're just going to have a couple of guys who can be rotated um, along with a third potentially coming in. 
here's my thing. What I'd like to see the Red Wings do is I'd like to see them get deep in net. I think I'd like to see them do like, you know, um, look at the St. Louis Blues when they won the cup, right? They basically had to go three, four deep and which they never expected to be able to do or have to do, excuse me, not be able to, but they would never have expected that to go all the way to Jordan Biddington, who was like fourth uh, down in their depth chart for goaltenders. And he ends up being, you know, a breakout player and, and in delivering a huge, a huge part of what made them successful in, in winning the Stanley cup that year. If I would love to see Detroit have that kind of position. I don't know if that's what Steve's waiting for, but what I think he is waiting for is to at least have his two goalies in place, his Osgood Vernon, his uh, Vernon Hasek, his Osgood Hasek, whatever he's waiting. He's waiting for that combination to come up. I think Ned could potentially be one of those people, but there's another one coming that you've had your eye on. I think Bogdanovich could be that guy. But there is a guy that plays in Edmonton that I think the Edmonton Oilers would have wished they had because this kid is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I watched his game against the Seattle Thunderbirds. It's a WHL championship. Very, very, just a lot of fun hockey because they're younger kids and they're just all out to win it. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trying to prove their, their, their chance. And Costa is just like saying, no, 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 not today. And if you look at the goalies in the Eastern Conference final, Shesterkin, Vasilevsky, and you look at Costa, the way he plays, he looks exactly like those guys. In fact, am I not mistaken? Tell me if I'm wrong, but I could have sworn I heard you say Detroit has found their Vasilevsky. I think they have. I think okay, you watch, when you watch, That's a pretty that's a pretty bold statement to make. Because I'm, I'm he's the best goalie in the world, I'm, arguably maybe one of the best. I'm going to make this statement because I think it's true. I played goaltender. I know what it. I know what it takes to be a championship goaltender, and when you look at a guy like Sebastian Costa in the WHL Championship, that's a tough league to play in, the Western Hockey League, and he is playing his ass off. He's got a lot of shutouts in the last five games. He is just absolutely tearing it up. Like it's the last five games. He's he's played. He's got nine goals against. 106 saves. His save percentage is 9.22. He's getting shot on a lot. But he's not in an NFL, or excuse me, an NHL environment, Joe. He's still playing in a minor. What leagues. you? What you? Okay, let me entice the people on what you look for when I'm pretty sure Stevie looks like this way. Okay, you want someone who competes at a high level, which the WHL is. A, you compete at a high level. It's a, it's a league where it, there's a lot of def- defense and there's a lot of offense. It's more comparable to the NHL than the Quebec Major Junior League or some of the so other you know, leagues. What you look for in a goaltender is how do they come back with the championship mentality of a goaltender? Let's say you let in a goal. Does your confidence get shaken? Yes or no? And if it is yes, you're not cut out to be a championship goaltender. Because if you look at a guy like Vasilevsky, you look at a guy like Shesterkin, they get a goal scored on them, and they somehow get better. This this Sebastian Kosa kid, he gets better when he used score on him. And when he has a bad game that he thinks is a bad game, the next game he usually gets a shutout. 
The kid's in phenomenal. The way he competes at a high level, the way he posts to post, he's getting these pucks and he's he's tracking them all. See, another thing about a goalie when you're looking at being you're looking at a goaltender is how do they track the puck? Mm-hmm. If they can track the puck at a high level, you go, okay, that's a really good sign because if you can track the puck, you can track the puck anywhere. So what you're saying, Joe, is that Sebastian Kosa has it in spades in the P department. Yeah. No, <laughs> We're yeah. talking about poise. Get your minds out of the gutter, everybody who was thinking I was talking about something else. Um, poise. The kid is poised. He's poised like Mo Sider is poised. And that's what's really encouraging is with this Red Wings, these youngsters on the Red Wings that are coming up, is they are showing a level of maturity that is uncommon in young players. Uh, and that is what I think is very encouraging for the Detroit Red Wings here in the next two to three years. It's still going to take, I think, a couple of years for Sebastian Cosa to develop. And he hasn't gone up against any NHL, NHL talent. I mean, let's see what happens when he goes up against Connor McDavid. Let's see what happens when he goes up against Leon Dreisaitl. Let's see what right. happens he's when he have, goes he's up against have, Ryan he's O'Reilly, he's, right? He's going to have to progress. But sure. Look at, this is his playoff numbers this year. 16 games, 198 goals against average. A 9-11 save percentage. When you talk about a goaltender that you want to see in the future, those are the stats you want. Now, I know I know it's not the NHL. I know it's the WHL. But listen, when you, this is that's a tough league. The, the Western Hockey League is a tough league. It's become one of the tougher leagues in all of the CHL. You have to understand that when you have a goaltender, that it gives you a chance to win every night, and when he has a bad night, he comes back and he plays really, really well to where he shuts it out. This kid is really starting to turn people into, like, why didn't we draft him? Why didn't we draft him? I was talking to someone today mm-hmm. who literally said, I don't know why we didn't draft him. Now, just to be clear for the folks listening, you're talking about somebody who is currently in the front office of an another NHL Yeah, club. it was it's a front office person yeah. that I know because I interviewed with them. But uh, you, you talk to them, and they're like, why didn't we know? And I go, well, you're not Steve Eisen, okay? But the you got to look at it like this. Like, the guy who I think was a big part in drafting Sebastian Kosa is Sean Horkoff, you know, the assistant general manager. I think – well, he wasn't – he was like a scout at the time. But you got to think about it. Like, that was the guy who he, – he was very underrated at the time. Mm-hmm. People, people thought Jasper Wallstadt was the better – goalie and you're starting to see that Sebastian Cosa was kind of like a underrated player that has blossomed at this point well and look it was the same GM who scouted and recruited both these guys and signed them both yeah both Vasilevsky and uh Sebastian Cosa yeah Vasilevsky was the same way he didn't start he didn't start blossoming until he got drafted by Tampa Bay and then Tampa Bay is like oh crap we have a goalie (laughs) like we have a guy you you have you have a nearly a generational talent in net with Vasilevsky, and the fact that Stevie Y was able to see that when no one else could, and the fact that he also saw that in Sebastian Kosa, I think that's tremendously telling about what is in store for the Red Wings. But I think it's going to take time to develop that that goaltending talent I that mean, we've got. Just the, the way so it's gonna. Yeah, I think I think a cup contention is, is uh, I'll say two to three years away. Yeah. But I just want to mention Joe. 
I did say before the finals, before the uh, playoffs even started, I thought the Colorado Avalanche were going to go all the way, much as it kills us as Wings fans to say it. I still think Tampa's going to go all the way. I think it's going to be an Avs. I think I think when Tampa. I think it's going to be an Avs Cup this I, year. I think when Tampa goes against the Avs, I think the Avs are going to be screwed. Because well, they don't have the goaltending. Goaltending. And there that's that's it. where you start. And you here's it. another part about the rubbings that I think it's pretty it's, it's special. Look at the guy the guys Eisenman has drafted. Look at Elmer Soderblom. And look look at the fanfare he's getting because he's starting to protect the puck and starting to become like a guy who you're like, how in the hell did Stevie Y see this? That's what I think. I think you look at when you look at Stevie Y and you look at the way he's drafting. He got these guys a year before. <laughs> they if they would have been drafted now, it could be a totally di- different draft. All look, the at, look, look at the way look at the way it was with Cider. He would be the number one draft pick. Yep. Raymond, number one draft pick. No doubt. Edmondson, number one draft pick. And I bet you this year he'll get the best player again because that's what Stevie Y does. You look at the way he drafted the goalie. Cosa, uh, that guy would probably go at the top of the draft because that's what it is. Stevie Y knows how to scout. This Red Wings team knows how to scout, and you will start to see the dividends, I think, next year. We're ready to win the cup when we build from the back forward. It's going to start with that net minder. you got to have that. If you got, if you don't have that, you don't have it. You win with goaltending. You got it. And I don't care what anybody tells you, that Western Conference Finals was absolute garbage because – None of those players had the goal. None of those teams had goaltending. I mean, I watched Mike Smith. He got a lot of beach ball in the net. <laughs> I can't stay. I you. I could not stay. I couldn't stand that that the whole thing. When you look at the the Tampa Bay Lightning coming over or the Rangers playing their abs. Good luck scoring on those two goalies because those guys are what determines championships. And I'm going to tell you right now that Sebastian Kosa will be in the same level. In a few years. Looking forward to seeing it. We will see you in the next segment as we talk about the Tigers and their 10-game home stand that they have coming up and how crucial it is. And I have a very bold take, a bold prediction, Joe. Uh, here we go. No more the, bold predictions. You will find out why I think that the Detroit Tigers have a shot at the playoffs. And she's she's gone crazy, guys. All right. <laughs> we'll see you in the next segment. See you then. Well, Miss Indian Joe Show, I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And we are your hometown team. Yes. And today we are talking. Well, today, yeah, today we obviously are here today. One of the <laughs> So we are talking about the Tigers. They have won two straight. They, they got their ass kicked by the Yankees. They come home for a 10 game homestand. So I ask you, Cindy. How many do they have to win to make you feel good? It's not a matter of the number that they're going to win. What I'm looking for. Well, that's not what I, that's, that is not what I asked. <laughs> I'm looking for, because I, I, I'm not so concerned about the number. I am going to the Saturday game on the 18th, okay? I need to be entertained. Who are they playing on the 18th? The Rangers. They have a good shot to win that game. But I'm worried about the first six games, I think. Uh, yeah, the, the first no seven games. I don't think you have to worry about that. No, let me tell you why I have to worry about that. Because the Blue Jays have been hot. They are absolutely scorching earth. They're eight and two in their last time. Then they play the White Sox. 
Then they play the Rangers. Right. And I'm worried sick that they are going to get swept by the Blue Jays. And I'm worried sick that they are going to get beat twice by the White Sox. And I understand your concerns. I do. But I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, Mm. Joe, I'm going to make somewhat of a bold prediction. Here comes the bold prediction. The bold prediction. Joe thinks, by the way, that I have now boarded the crazy train when I told him in the last segment what my bold prediction was. Mm. And that is that I believe that the Detroit Tigers have a shot at getting into the playoffs. You have boarded Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train. <laughs> or or in the in terms of fuck cherry, crazy beat. <laughs> Do you even want to hear my thoughts about why I think this? Listen to this, listen to this. Okay, let me give you my rationale and you can go and tear it up. Tear it up. All right. Here's the thing. If you look at the Detroit Tigers and their record... So far this year, it is less than inspiring, but the last 10 games have been better. And as you pointed out, Joe, they won the last two. Here's the most encouraging part of all that. Up to this point, the Detroit Tigers have, and still have, one of the worst records in the entire game of baseball, but certainly the worst record in the American League for games away, okay? They have their eight and 13, which is tied for the worst record. I think actually Cincinnati Reds have the worst record for the entire league. Uh, But in the American League, Tigers are worst on the road. The good news is these last two games they won against the Pirates were on the road. They were in Pittsburgh. So that's great. Also, if you look at their away games for the last 10 games going back, you can see that they have improved tremendously. I would say take the Yankees series out of it because that's a bit of an outlier because the Yankees are the best team in baseball right now. They're over 700. So you can't really take that into consideration. Here's why I am encouraged and why I think that the next between now and the 4th of July, when we have our 4th of July show, we are going to be able to make a significant um we're going to have significant insight on how the Detroit Tigers are going to end up and how whether or not they're going to make it into the playoffs because they are currently right now in third place in the AL Central, okay? As we all know, the teams that make it into the playoffs are the three top teams out of each one of those divisions, right? The top team out of each one of those divisions. I believe that the Detroit Tigers have a way forward to overtake the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central. Now, That is the worst division in the American League, granted, but it would still secure them a playoff spot. They're going to be playing against the White Sox at home. Tigers have a better record at home than the White Sox have on the road. So they have a great opportunity in their series coming up with the White Sox. They also have an opportunity when they play the Rangers. So they've got a tremendous opportunity because they're going to be at home for that. So they've got a stretch of home games coming up against teams that do poorly on the road. So that's a tremendous opportunity for them. And the White Sox are currently tied with the Guardians for second place in the division. So if they can sweep the Sox, the Guardians also have a tough schedule coming up. 
the fact that the Tigers have a favorable schedule coming up and the fact that their rivals in the AL Central have difficult schedules coming up. Also, the fact that they are only eight and a half games out of first in the division, that gives them a tremendous opportunity. By the 4th of July, they could be sitting in second place in the division, and that would poise them to take out the Twins, who, by the way, are not doing very well. You put them in any other division, and the Twins are third, fourth place in the division in the AL Central. They're in the top spot. I think the Detroit Tigers have an opportunity here if they do the right things over the next two weeks. We reevaluate this 4th of July. We could be looking at the Detroit Tigers, looking at the opportunity to take a playoff spot. Go. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think I hit the crazy train, you know, the crazy you know, the crazy B. Um, the crazy on you, heart. That was a good note. That's a good song. Um, you're nuts. Like, you, you, you got to be kidding me. See, you have to break it down in 10 games. My philosophy is this. They have to win six games to make me feel comfortable. There are 10 games under 500. I need to be in single digits by the time we be hop on the road again. And I need it because you're playing the Blue Jays. You're playing the White Sox. The White Sox is a big series because it's in division. You need to win those games. You need to steal one against the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have been red hot. But, you, you know, they, the White Sox series, you got your ace going on the mound in Tarek Scoble. He's been playing phenomenal. You need guys to step it up. The offense needs to step it up against Blue Jays. And hopefully you can win six out, six out of these ten. Well, exactly. And here's the thing. If, if, the, if the Tigers can improve their road game average, their average at home, they're doing very well at home. If they can improve their road trip average, they are going to poise themselves because of the division that they're in and the competition they have, which is not stellar, okay? They have an opportunity to actually be competitive and get into that top spot. But they have to do better on the road. And if this little stint with the Pirates is any indication of what's to come, if they are, in fact, improving their their uh, road trip performance, they've got a shot. They've got a shot at overtaking Minnesota. Minnesota's not that great. They're only eight and a half games out. They're only four games out of second place because the entire division is abysmal. I'm not saying they have a chance to be competitive once they get into the playoffs. I think they. I think anybody, there's no winner coming out of the AL Central, okay? They're just not because the division is so bad. But because of that, it gives the Detroit Tigers a unique opportunity if they continue trending the way they are, see, I think that why you need to get under you need, you need to get to five hundred because if you get to five hundred, if you get six, the way you win six out of ten, right? You win six out of ten, and you beat the, the White Sox twice, and they and that you could potentially make up ground there. I mean, you're chasing the Twins who have been really really good at home, seventeen and twelve. The run differential for the Tigers is minus 60. It needs to be way better than that. I mean, the Blue Jays, they're 7-3 they're seven, they're seven, they're in their last 10. They lost today, I think. Um, they lost 8-4. But the, the, this is this is their last couple games, okay? 7 nothing, 8 nothing, eight. They, they scored 6 runs against the Twins. They scored 12 runs against the Twins. They scored... Oh, they scored three there. They scored eight against the White Sox, and they scored seven against the White Sox. 
You're gonna have to score. It's this this whole. You're talking about Toronto. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because that doesn't affect where the tiger, whether or not the Tigers end up in the playoffs. All they have, all the Tigers have to do, is best best Minnesota. And I think Minnesota is beatable. The the White Sox are beatable. Anybody in their division right now, I believe the Tigers can contend with. That's my point. So whether or not Toronto is hot, I don't care. None of nobody in our division is. You're saying Minnesota's playing well compared to what? And quite frankly, they've got a tough schedule coming up. So they're need, gonna have a chance. I need to win six out of ten because your schedule gets tough at the at the end of June. You know, you go you're gonna be going to play Boston in Boston. They have caught they're better than their record is. I mean, you just gotta look at it like like it is. Like they have to win these games because it's absolutely huge to get back in the hunt. You look at you look at the teams that they play after they leave the road. They go play Boston. They go play Arizona three three times, and then they go play the Giants, who are another team that's a pain in the ass to play. You're gonna have to go on the West Coast. Body change. Six out of ten is absolutely necessary to stay in that that range. And that's why I'm saying I think after the Fourth of July, we we'll need. Be- I need. We, I need to see progress by Fourth of July. We're gonna we're gonna be able to. But see I need it to see progress. By the, I need to see progress by the time I go to the game the next day. <laughs> I need to see six. So of, you have selfish motivations for this. Okay, because number one, <laughs> I hate bad baseball. That's number one. Number two, who likes bad baseball? Well, I mean, come on. The baseball elite are re- they're dumb. <laughs> like they they think they, there's people that think the Tigers are. Well, all you got to do is put a guy out there with the last name of Clemens, and they're happy. <laughs> don't don't get me started. Don't get me started. Here, here's even something more to get you even more started because oh, we want this to be entertaining for people who are listening. In the event, let's just talk about some hypotheticals. Let's say after the Fourth of July, we are looking at Tigers who are actually in contention for a playoff spot because everything has gone the way Cindy has said. Do we then give, does that buy Al Avila a little bit of a get out of jail free card with you? <laughs> okay, if you didn't see what just happened, because he's obviously we're on a podcast, <laughs> I just kicked something over because that was great. Because listen, <laughs> if I have, if I have to stomach another year of Al Avila, I'm gonna go on my mind. Right. You know, you know, you know how I hated the Matt Patricia. In the Bob Cleaner for the Lions. The boobs of Detroit. The boobs. Well, guess what? We have a third boob with the Tigers. Some people may find that interesting. Well, did you know 5% of people have third boobs? Oh, my God. That is actually a stat. There you go. The stats that you don't expect and you don't hear anywhere else. It's the it's the, the triple And here stats. in Detroit, we have a third boob. His name is Albie. And listen. The Avila, get it right. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't want his name being told right. Oh, God. He doesn't want his name being told right. We can go and we, I, he, he, just go back in the repertoire and see what I think about El Vila. It's out there. <laughs> I can't stand this guy. And the fact that, this, and you, know, you know what the sad part about this? There is actually people in the Tigers fan base who thinks that he's doing a good job. How could you possibly think that? What criteria are they using? Oh, the pitching's good. Sweet. The pitching's good, but we can't score. You know what it's like? 
I'll tell you exactly what it's like. This Tigers team is like the guy who has the nice car, right? Nice car. But he's ugly and fat. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what he does. It, he can have a Ferrari. He's going to pull someone. He's going to pull some chick that has no intuition. And she's going to be like, he's got a Ferrari. He's rich, right? And then they, then he gets out of the then, then he, he rolls down the then he window gets out, and he, you see no, what he looks like. No, then he gets out of the car, oh, and she's like, "God bless America." That guy is not what he showing himself to be. You know, he looks skinny. Right. He looks skinny in the front. It's because your expectations are so high when you see the car and you see the guy get out and you realize, oh, all right, no. it doesn't match. Now you now now you have to be boat girl, right? <laughs> Like you, you see these, you see these chicks. They're like slutting it up for some old dude because they got a boat. Because they got the boat. Yeah, we talked about right. this before. We did. We and you know what? It's summertime, so it's perfect time to start talking about making references to boat girl boat, and boat guy. Boat guy and boat girl. Yes. We. we yes. They, yeah. That's exactly what the tigers are. They are boat guy. They have the boat. And Jobby Nooner will be coming up for those of you. Out you want to you want to talk you want you, you want to talk about getting syphilis? That's where you get syphilis. <laughs> That's where you see the film on the water. And I mean, you're like, I'm afraid of what that could be. How, imagine a day where you go see the Tigers, and then you go to Jobby Nooner. You talk about you talk about a time where you're gonna get blind and syphilis at the same time. You get screwed twice on that day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I listen, I if Alvila's here another year, yeah. I mean, I don't have I don't have any faith in Alvila. I, I I look at smart baseball people, and they don't have faith in them either. Yeah. If this buys him another year, oh my god! Like I can't. I. It's bad enough he's gonna get another draft. Draft. He's gonna draft like another forty pitchers that we don't need, and he's gonna pass on like a generational player, player like Marcelo Meyer. He is. He is Steve Eisman. If Steve Eisman was hooked on crack, okay, that's who Alvy was. <laughs> Well, so okay, I didn't mean to like trigger you. Yes, I did. Um, and that's she told she told she totally did it, and she got her wish. She got her wish. But I do think that if the Tigers can improve on the road, I believe if they can continue to trend the way that they have been trending because of the unique uh, situation uh, in the AL Central, I think they have an opportunity to to actually earn a playoff spot. And uh, but I agree that. Uh, they're going to get knocked out right away. There's no winners in that in that division. Um, I mean, it's the disparity in, in in all the stats are absolutely amazing, and you compare them across divisions. So, Tigers find themselves in a, in a unique position. They can take advantage of that. Let's see if they do it. We might need uh, might need Joel Zamaya. Might need Zoom Zoom to make another comment to oh get him over God. that. You know hump. what? In, did you see his, his 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 Facebook live where he claimed he fixed the Tigers? I, Got, listen, Joel. You got that graphic from us, <laughs> not the other way around. You know what it was? It was a great marriage. It was a great partnership. You had the graphic from Between the Whistles, and you had the commentary by Joel Zamaya. Hey, Joel, might be something there, buddy. Might want to think about that. He, he's, he's playing guitar here. <laughs> he's playing guitar. And listen, listen, we have talked about the Tigers. And we have talked about, you know, they've won, they won today and they won yesterday. Yeah, and on the road, and that was good. Now yeah, let's hope I that, expect them to win yesterday. And it wasn't a throwaway I, team either. Pittsburgh's was, not a throwaway. Yeah, Pittsburgh's a throwaway. 
know and about that. Well, Pittsburgh's. You know, they're not the Cincinnati Reds. No, you know what Pitts, you know what Pittsburgh is. Uh, Pittsburgh is the Salvation Army of Major League Baseball teams. <laughs> and it's just it's just incredible that that guy can own a team and absolutely pay nothing for his players and like the city of Pittsburgh. No wonder they don't come out and support this guy. I mean, they have the Penguins and the Steelers in town, and we got the Pirates spending ten million dollars a year. I like. You you imagine being in the same city as the Penguins and the and the Steelers, two of the two of the most iconic, uh, you know, franchises in their sport, and you spend ten million dollars, you are the Salvation Army, like you really are. And the Tigers, they better get their they better get their crap together because they might start being in the the Buccos territory. Well, but the bottom line is, you know, the Pirates were third in the NL Central. So it's not. I don't think they're quite the throwaway another, team. But another garbage. You know, the Centrals are the garbage division. They, they are. They, they are really just, are. They're so bad. I mean, you go and you look at, at, at some of these, and it's ridiculous. I mean, the Orioles, for God's sake, and the AL East. You want to talk about a powerhouse uh, division? There, you look into the the AL East, but uh, the Orioles, which are in the last place in the AL East, have a better percentage than the Detroit Tigers do. It's pretty bad when you're worse than Baltimore, but we've talked about that. But but what I'd like to talk about and focus on when we're talking about the Detroit Tigers is the trending. Where's the trending going? There's no doubt they were a train wreck. I mean, I, they were trending so bad. When you look at where they've come from to where they are now, the amount of progress that they seem to have made or the turnaround that they seem to have made um, between the you know the first part of the season uh, and then now, which you can still argue we're still in the first half of the season, obviously, but the turnaround that they've made, I think, is is actually astronomical. The question is, can they maintain that? Can they improve upon it? If they can, and if this is a true, if they've turned a true corner here. That's where I think their opportunity lies because I don't see their competition. Uh, I, I see they've kind of hit a – a lot of their competition has hit their ceiling, whereas I think the Tigers are certainly on their floor. They've got ways to go here, and that's why I think there's an opportunity. I won't believe until the offense actually starts scoring. And I can, I'm not arguing that. Let's see. But they've made tremendous progress. Let's see if that progress will continue. I can't wait to talk again. Fourth of July is our benchmark, Joe. That's when we're going to know. We will see. And if I come back next week and, I, and I'm going to a garbage baseball game, I'm going to totally trash you for your take. <laughs> I look forward to it, sir. I relish it. In the next segment, we'll be talking the Lions who are on the upswing. We will explain in the next segment. Let's go. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Cindy. Let me you to it. No, we have a surprise segment because we were talking. We were talking. No, it's not. It's not. A, it's not a good time. Okay? It is not a good time. Cindy is weird. <laughs> and listen, I know she's a politician, which makes me weird to start with. Which makes her weird to start with because yeah. they're all like weird. Especially certain some some people in, in that you work with, yeah. but I couldn't believe what she just said. Now, Cindy, enlighten the people about what things that you do to food that I can't even understand. 
Well, all right. So look. And I don't want to hear about the healthiness because if we were eating healthy, you wouldn't be eating cake in the first place. <laughs> so my son just graduated from high school. My last one. Thank you, God, for all those of you that can appreciate that. Go, Johnny. The last one. Yes. Go, Johnny. Go. Uh, the last one is out of high school. So that's awesome. And uh, it means I have no responsibility here whatsoever. And um, so we got graduation cake, okay? And, uh, you know, you know, I go to the gym. I hadn't been in the gym for six months because I had been on tour throughout the state of Michigan uh, doing a political thing. And I was reading, really, eating really bad, wasn't in the gym, and, and put on some weight, and I make myself sick. Graduating, baby! So great. <laughs> for all those of you who have graduates out there, you know, you got graduation cake sitting around, right? Well, I want to participate with the family and in the celebration. And I told Joe, I... I don't eat the frosting. I just eat the cake part. Okay, that. <laughs> why? Explain why. And so, uh, you know what? It's too much sugar. Now I know why you didn't win Secretary of State. Because <laughs> I won't eat frosting. This could have came out. This is un-American. <laughs> I eat naked cake. I eat my cake naked. Now you would no. Now I don't eat my cake we while are, being that, naked that, myself. That is, that is a drop too. I. <laughs> I eat naked cake. I know I don't eat cake. I, I just eat a little bit of the frosting, but I take most of it off, and I just I, I eat the cake part because I, I get it's sweet enough, and then, okay, but no, not too sweet. Now get now get to the real part where you went to Burger King, and you did what? What? I I went to Burger King. I was sick. I I didn't want to eat it, but I was in a rush. I needed something to go, so I ordered a Whopper, which is bad. Okay, and it does goes. My trainer is listening, Frank. Please, I beg you, don't don't punish Frank, me. Kick her ass because she is un-American. <laughs> I ordered my Whopper. I order it a certain way. I order it with cheese, light mayo. Basically, take the mayo off. Extra tomato, extra onion. So extra veggies, light on the mayo. Cut it in half. That's what I do. What's wrong with it? And then I just don't eat very many fries. I eat like three fries. It's all good. Now you are probably one of the people that in in my onion rings. No, no, listen, I eat a certain way too. You, I, go into that. that. That that has to happen. All right, here's the deal. How many people out there like to just eat the fried breading part of the onion ring? You are my heroes because I eat the insides. So I have get, my best get, friend. How and do I, you get to the inside without eating outside? Because you break it in half no. and you pull out the onion on the inside. I eat the inside. My best friend eats the outside. It's a no. great partnership. It works. No. Yes. You have to eat the whole iron onion ring. You got to eat the whole onion ring. Sometimes I eat a little bit. Are you of one? It, are, are you one of the many Americans that puts your Cheetos in milk? God, no. I don't even understand that. No. And I don't understand people who put, like, like I was watching um, For the Love of the Game with Kevin Costner the other day, you know, because this is a sport you love. By the way, one of the best baseball movies. I mean, Field of Dreams, absolutely. Yeah, you can say Bull Durham. Kevin Costner is the quintessential baseball player. And also the natural. You want to talk about my five top baseball movies? That's it. Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, uh, The Natural. For the love of the game, there's four out of the top five. Anyway, Kevin Costner's in two of them. And in that movie, he takes a bunch of saltine crackers and shoves them in a glass of milk. I thought I wanted to vomit. I mean, I love that movie. Okay. A lot of great baseball food. That was disgusting. That's I don't do that. I think if you think that's bad, I just I looked up weird food combos. Okay. Yeah. Number 13, Oreos dipped in orange juice. 
Yeah, I don't get that. That's gross. Well, don't if you. Do, I do put salt on my if watermelon. If you, though. if you, what? <laughs> I put salt on my watermelon. Oh, that's different. I thought you said salt on your Oreos. So it's about to be like you're so American. No, no, I try to stay away from salt, but a little sprinkled salt on on watermelon really brings out the flavor. Okay, of what about this? A uh, peanut butter and onion sandwich. That's sick. That's disgusting. But like, don't I'm, screw up a PB and J. The look, best sandwich in the world, PB and J. You don't screw that up. No one. I'm, I'm looking at this. Yeah. And like, this one sounds good. Grape jelly and scrambled eggs. That sounds pretty Ugh. good. That Vomit. sounds pretty good. What the yuck? No. Now, no. I used to eat ketchup on scrambled eggs. See, that's. I feel like if you add the grape jelly and you put it by the eggs and kind of mix it together, it kind of would taste good. Now. This one is freaking disgusting because I don't, I like my, I like my Doritos by themselves. I like Cool Ranch Doritos when I eat them. I like those, so, I like those sweet, spicy, chili ones. So are we talking about the traditional Doritos here in this next combo? The traditional All right. Doritos. Traditional Doritos. But it, even if you put Cool Ranch, whatever, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with Doritos in the middle. No. 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 But I do put them on like meat. Now sandwiches. this now if you said this, I would have I would have walked out. Because <laughs> this is the total quintessential un-American bullshit that we see from these people. When I say these people, I mean these people who eat weird foods. These weird people that like like tofu and everything. But peanut butter on a hamburger. Now, if you do this, I, I could see that. N- I could. You, will you stop it? <laughs> There's no. a, heck of a lot of protein there. No. A burger and peanut butter. No. I'm all for it. It's high protein. No. no, I think it'll be good. No. I'm going to try it tonight. No. <laughs> I'm going to try this, that cause... and I'm going to report back. I'm going to make it for you. The next time oh you come God. to the podcast, no. I'm going to bring you a burger slathered in peanut butter, crunchy or creamy, because that could make a difference too. Listen, I like. My hot dogs and hamburgers the American way. I want. I'm a hamburger. I want ketchup. But I just can't have any ketchup, okay? It's got to be Heinz. It's got to be hot. I'm with you there. Now, don't 100%. give me this. Okay, I went I went to someone. I'm not going to name them because they're beautiful people. But I went to a house. And they had organic ketchup. Now, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I try to eat a lot of organic food, too, though. A lot of my stuff, you go in my, really, no, organic makes a difference. When you're talking about chicken, you got to get organic, free range, no hormones, chicken. So I, I think I could be okay with the organic ketchup. Go ahead. This is so un-American. I can't even believe, I can't even believe you. <laughs> now, now I know why. Like, this you're is... a ketchup, mustard, and pickle guy, aren't you? Or no. ketchup, mustard, and relish? No. Relish? Oh. On a hot dog. Relish? No. Here's the perfect hot dog. Ketchup, mustard, relish, onion. I love it. No. If you're going to make me a hot dog, you got to make it that Give way. me the traditional ketchup and mustard. That's it. But it got to be the good ketchup. Can't right. be this organic ketchup. Because if you give me the organic ketchup, I need plenty of it. What about mustard? Are you are you specific on your mustard? It better be a good mustard. Like, French's is pretty good. What about Plotman's? I like, Plot- I like Plotman's. Plockman's, yeah, Plockman's, yeah. yeah See, I knew you were a Plockman guy. Mm-hmm. I could tell. Or whatever mustard they have at Costco. I like that mustard too. That's pretty good. Okay. So okay. ketchup and mustard on your hot dog. What about the hamburger? hamburger? No peanut butter, we already said. If you put peanut butter on it, I'm kicking you in the face. Right. What do you like on your hamburger? Peanut 
God, that was scary what that could have been, what you wanted on your hamburger. Gross. <laughs> on the hamburger, we go with, okay, I, I like lettuce sometimes, but sometimes I don't, because if it gets warm, I just get heebie-jeebies, you know? Right, because it gets wilty and kind of Yeah, and gross. It, then, then it's like warm lettuce. And yeah, I feel you. And I feel like I'm eating, like, I'm going to eat E. coli. Okay. Um, I like the ketchup, mustard, mayo, onion. And pickles. That is a true blue American. Now, I could dress a hamburger up like the Red Robin right now. They have the brisket hamburger. They put brisket on the hamburger. Genius. All right. See now, because that is two American staples together to make an American palooza. Now, all all I need, all I need, is a nice American beer to wash it down. Now, I'll give you that. Now, a beer with a burger is great. I can go for your burger, but I would add lettuce and tomato. That's just me. But my my favorite burger is very un-American. I'm sorry. I'm coming out as un-American on the hamburger. It's <laughs> my hamburger. My favorite hamburger is Swiss cheese, caramelized onion, and mushroom. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. That is the most un-American thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I would. Yeah. Screw the I'm only that is the only place I'm un-American when it comes to my burgers. Screw but the Swiss. I screw the mushrooms. No, you gotta have them. No, caramelized onions is good. Oh, that's the best. But no, under no circumstances, Swiss cheese. I am listen, we are not raising a bunch of wings. Well, you, you did now I know you threw your phone because you were very upset about my hamburger toppings, but do you have any more unique food or weird food combinations? I know we, we, we covered peanut butter on the hamburger. I actually could almost see it. I could, I'm going to try it. I am going to try it because that intrigues me. I'll tell you. But uh, yeah, I, I try to eat almost everything organic if I can. So I might have to try. To I have one food. weird food combination. But right. this is American. It's American. You wouldn't right. even understand. Okay. Because <laughs> you are the almost un-American politician I've ever seen in entire history. Hey. Do you what do you think about cheddar cheese on apple pie? What? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty common. I mean, we got this. To- this is why this country is going to hell in a handbasket. Okay, <laughs> this is why inflation sucks. You know who probably eats eats uh, cheddar cheese on his uh, apple pie? Joseph R. Biden. That too. <laughs> okay, or whatever. That's a perfectly good piece of apple pie with whatever his name is. Yeah. You listen. The only thing that you can put on apple pie that I will really give you the kudos for, yeah, ice cream. What about caramel? No. Yeah, you got no, caramel no. Apple I'm pie t- no, no, no. Listen, we are right. Ra- we we are America. Okay, we are America. We do this the right way. Okay. Apple pie. Now you not not now you turning me into my southern people. Okay. <laughs> I want a warm apple pie. <laughs> With ice cream and I could ice cream, ice cream, right? And I really want custard ice cream. Oh, now you're getting all fancy. That's because, what we because, call fancy because that is American. That's fancy. That is American, right there. That's fancy American. Now there is one. Now, weird, there is one weird food combination that I I take part. Go of. for it. Now I love when you have potato. Like this is another American. So you see yourself out of this. Mm-hmm. When you're at the barbecue, 
I don't. You've never been. You've never been to the Black Barbecue. No, I have not. Listen, the potato salad, and you know how sometimes it mixes with the barbecue chicken, and like you get that barbecue flavor on the potato salad. Uh huh. Barbecue sauce on potato salad is electric. Wow, I would. I. I. That, that seems kind of creepy. Or or um, what is it called? Um, um, um uh, Worcestershire sauce. It gets on the potato salad. Oof. But it has to be the right potato salad. Because, you know, a lot of these people, they they, they screw up potato salad all the time. They like all the time. Well, you know, because there's so many variations of potato salad, you can really screw it up to put the wrong stuff in it. I want my American. And it's got to be creamy. It I, can't be dry and sticky. That's no, gross. I want, listen, I want thick and hearty. I want potatoes. Don't we all? <laughs> listen. We all want thick and hearty, Joe. That's the reality of the situation. Listen, I match that. I match the thick and hearty. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, uh, uh, I'm, we are TMI, TMI. We're I, no, no. I'm a, Joe. I'm a, I'm a thicker guy. I'm not skinny. I'm not T. Are you thick with T H I C C? Thick. No, because that's like that's like if I got out of my truck and it started and I could hear the the, the shocks going. <laughs> <laughs> There are some weird, but you know, but that's the thing. So when you have these graduation parties, a lot of people are having these graduation parties, by the way. So what is your favorite graduation food? Because yeah, I got to tell you. Yep. Jenna's coworker, now her former coworker, had the absolute best freaking graduation food I've ever had in my entire life. They had the union, like they had the union, like the in, in Clarkston. Yeah. Where they had the mac and cheese, they had the barbecue brisket, the bar- all the barbecue sauces that expand America and tell America how it is, like Carolina barbecue, Memphis barbecue. You understand? Like, like none of these little New Yorks and Chicagos have their own barbecue sauce. It's all in the South. Texas barbecue, Memphis barbecue, Carolina. Carolina. I'm sense. I'm sensing a bit of a theme here. Barbecue. That's your favorite. Listen, if you have barbecue, we are going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> Listen, barbecue and give me some beers and we'll be ready to go. Well, I don't think anybody can argue that. My favorite food to get at a bar- at a at a graduation, well, my go-to is always masticoli. If they got the masticoli, the problem is if it gets all dry and crusty in the pan, that's not good. Let me But if it's if it's you know, but that's my go-to because you know I'm Italian. So I know I'm going to like it. It's really hard to screw up the masticoli. But what I enjoy eating, to be honest with you, because I don't make it and I don't get it that often, but if they have, but I really like it, there's two things. Two things sometimes you can get at the graduation party. One is the little, is like the meatballs in the sauce or the gravy. Oh, yeah, the meatballs are good. I'll I'll take advantage of that because I don't make them. And secondly, the other one that I like is if they've got, if they, if you're at a German household and they make the sausage with the sauerkraut, oh, get out of town! Give me some good sausage and sauerkraut. That's that's my favorite, only because I don't make it and I don't get it that often. So that's I, what I go to. I like barbecue. I like um, hamburgers. I like hot dogs. You know the one thing I don't like that a lot of people like. What's that? I think it's the worst. I think I think if you eat it, you're just you're just you don't like food. 
You're eating it because you have to? Yeah, roasted chicken. I think it's like the ultimate old person food. And they have that at all these graduation parties. And it's the worst because it's all... You get you get the roasted chicken and you think it's going to be crusty, crispy. And it's fucking just... Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> it's, it's like you peel it apart like it's like a dead skin. Here's the worst part. The majority of that chicken is dry and you feel like you're eating sawdust. Like if you're going to give me... Chicken, I don't care if it's roasted chicken, grilled chicken, fried chicken, any kind of chicken. Dry chicken is the worst thing. It's like dust in your mouth. I hate it. So if you're going to be dry, serving chicken, they dry have to chicken, see, gotta be juicy dry, chicken. Dry chicken is like the worst. It's the worst. And if you can't cook chicken like like juicy. And you know what? And everybody's pushing it. You notice that? When you go there and they're like, you're going in the line to get your food. And they're like, hey, try the chicken. Hey, we got a whole bunch of chicken. Well, because no one that. eats it. Because <laughs> everyone knows. Because everyone knows it's going to be dry. <laughs> They're like, ew, gross. Right. I don't want any part of that. That's right. That's this right. This is just, uh, I tell you what, it's just, that's disgusting. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You got to be careful with that chicken. So be careful when you're putting together your graduation buffets. Listen to Cindy and Jeff. Or Cindy and Sorry. Jeff's my husband. Listen to Cindy and Joe. We know what we're talking about when it comes to food. But keep it healthy and don't. Shame people if you're serving onion rings. Don't shame people who take out the onions and then you're serving your cake when you see people eating it without the frosting. Don't be shaming those people. Shame them to death. <laughs> I swear to God. Just, Tell them Cindy understands. Cindy does. Cindy's weird. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Like, weird is good. No, weird is bad. <laughs> that is un-American and I don't expect it. Have a great time at your graduation parties. Congratulations to all of the graduates out there. You did a great thing. And just keep in mind that the world is literally your oyster. Go out there and get what you want. Don't give up on your dreams, whether it's professional sports or you're looking to excel in anything else. Maybe it's politics. Don't let people shame you for that. Whatever you want to do, the world is yours. Go and get it. Work hard and enjoy responsibly as you're graduating and celebrating my PSA for today. Well, on that note, I just want to warn all you graduates, get ready. Life's about to suck. <laughs> this is Between the Whistles, Detroit. <laughs>